Do I have any sitcom or comedy fans in the room tonight? I am a huge sitcom fan. What do you guys only watch? This is us? Like, come on. <laughs> sitcom fans in the room. Yes, there we go. I love sitcoms. Me and my brother are known for having The Office on repeat in my house all day long. That's all we do. And my favorite two sitcoms are The Office and Seinfeld. And I can't really choose between the two. They are just awesome and they redefined TV. And one of the reasons why I love sitcoms is because of their use of what's called a trope. And a trope is a storytelling device that the reader or the viewer or the listener can easily recognize. Sometimes it comes off as cliche. Uh, You'll say, oh, I saw them do this in another show before. Uh, A a classic example, in every superhero movie, uh, the superhero has a tragic backstory. Usually his parents died or he was deserted on some island. That's a trope. They didn't just steal it from one another. Uh, It's a storytelling device. And and comedies do it too. Um, A couple examples. Uh, The absurdly long wait is one of them where, where the characters spend the entire episode waiting for something that never happens. Like in Seinfeld, there's an episode where they wait to be seated at a restaurant and they never actually get seated at the restaurant. Uh, The back-to-school episode. Every kid's show had a first-day-of-school episode. The lost wedding ring episode where the best man loses the wedding ring at his best friend's ceremony. These are tropes. And probably my favorite, I think the all-time best trope, is the two-timer date. And that's when the lovable but goofy main character finds himself on a date with two girls at the same time. And I think it's my favorite because every TV show does it horribly. It's trash. It's a waste of an episode. But every TV show does it. And Malcolm in the Middle's done it. Family Ties have done it. Saved by the Bell. Community. Eight Simple Rules. The Office. My favorite one is The Office because Michael finds himself, uh, he thinks he's on a two-dates at the casino night, but he's really on no dates at the casino night. Like, he doesn't have a date. And, and every episode has a few things that they always do. There's always some outfit changes, right? So, so the guy, he's wearing the blue tie when he's with Tina and the red tie when he's with Tiffany. And his best friend is in the bathroom helping him change. And he spends more time actually running back and forth between the two dates than he does with either of the girls, and, and, and he ends up messing up the outfit, right? So, so then Tina's like, well, wait, weren't you wearing a red tie before? And, and it always blows up in his face. And, and the girls eventually meet, and they're like, you're on a date with him? I was on a date with him. And it never works out. And here's the thing. I've never been on a date with two girls. See, mainly because that would, get, that would mean getting two girls to want to go out on a date with me. And I am in ministry, but I'm not a miracle worker. See, that'll preach. And, and so I've never done it, and I don't think anyone's really done it. But I tell you what I do all the time. I, I feel like I do this to God all the time. See, like I feel like I'm on a date with two gods. That, that I, I try and separate him from my idols. And you might be saying, well, what do you mean idol? We don't worship wooden statues. And no, no, I mean something that's trying to take God's place in your life. See, sometimes it could be a sin thing like lust or or greed. Or sometimes it's a good thing that becomes a God thing like entertainment or comfort or a dating relationship or your kids. And when good things become God things, they're no longer good things. For me, it's it's my selfishness. I, I, I have to choose between either serving God or serving myself and what I want. And I think we all do this, and we try and keep them separate, like the guy in the TV show. We clothe ourselves differently, like the guy in the TV show, right? When we're at church, we're worshiping. Oh, we're in it. We're speaking so pure when we're at church, but when we go home, it's completely different, 
or, or later when we go out with those friends, it's completely different. And you might be saying, no, I don't do this. I, what I do is I compartmentalize. See, I have my home life and I have my school life and my friends and my God. And so each day I, I go, I'm going to school today, so I'm going to take that box down. Or now I'm home for dinner, so I'll take that, that box down. But, but here's the thing. God won't be compartmentalized. See, if he's not in every part of your life, he's in no part of your life. And so this is what we do. We, we find ourselves on a date with two Gods, we have God in one hand and idols in the other. And see, I've learned all my life lessons from TV just like you. And uh, in every episode of the TV show, it never works out for the guy. And I'm wondering if it could blow up in our faces. I'm wondering if living like this could have consequences. And if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here because... Uh, I'm glad that a friend invited you. Maybe they told you that the, the people are good looking and the food is good, and, and I hope that you think that's true. And, uh, but I'm glad you're here because we're going to be talking about brokenness. See, we're going to be talking about brokenness in the Bible, and you're sitting in a crowd of broken people, and you're hearing from a, another broken preacher. But here's the thing. I want you to know that, that you are loved and you are understood in your brokenness. And maybe you've been broken before and you've buried it deep inside. And what my prayer is tonight that maybe you would face some of the brokenness. We're going to be talking about a story in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the history of Israel. And if I had to give you a one sentence definition of the history of Israel, it's that Israel was a nation on a date with two gods. They could not for their lives serve God. They, they kept turning and being distracted by idols. They just couldn't do it. And this is put on display in the book of Judges. See, the book of Judges is partnered with the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, the, the Israelites are going throughout the land of Canaan, the land that they were promised. And, and they're fighting these big cities of Canaanites. And at the end, Joshua says, hey, I'm going to die and you're not going to have a national leader anymore. And what you need to do is finish what we started. There are small towns, small pockets of Canaanites, and you have to go and finish fighting them. And in classic Israelite fashion, they fail at this. They cannot for their lives do it. And the reason they had to do it was so that they would not fall into idolatry. But that the book of Judges is this downward spiral of Israel into idolatry. See, the first judge, Othniel, he's a pretty good dude. And, and he does what God has commanded him to do. But the last judge, some of you have heard of him, he's Samson. And Samson is basically a failure. Anything good that happens in Samson's life is really a result of God, not as a result of his obedience. So you get this spiral downward, and, and each judge is a good indicator of how Israel is doing spiritually at the time. And throughout the book, we have this quote, this saying, In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And if you stop for a second and think that that sounds a little bit like where we live today, that everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And maybe this book, written over 2,000 years ago, has some sort of significance for us. We're going to be talking about a guy named Jephthah, and you're not going to find that name on any baby name list. He is, that's a pretty bad name, and it's not going to be top 10 names of 2019. Um, and you, he was a judge, and you've probably heard of a couple judges, Gideon, and you don't really know what he did, and Samson, who was basically like the Hulk, but with really good hair and girl problems. And that's basically the whole book of Judges. But <laughs> Jephthah's story comes in chapter 11, and it's really not a fun story. See, Jephthah was 
a mighty warrior. Think Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Joey Lucci, just a mighty warrior. Great calves, that guy. <laughs> and, but, but he also had issues. See, he was the son of a guy named Gilead and a prostitute. And then Gilead got married and had more sons with his wife. And so his brothers hated him. And they hit him with yo mama jokes all day long. They said, yo mama's a prostitute. And that was their only joke. And so he gets tired of it. And they kick him out of their father's house. They say, you're not going to get any inheritance because your mom is a prostitute. And so he goes out and he takes out his daddy issues and his mommy issues and his brother issues on other people and he becomes a mighty warrior. And, and a few years later, the Ammonites begin to attack Israel because Israel was failing to do what God had told them to do. And so his brothers come to him and they say, well, you're a mighty warrior. Maybe he can help us. And so they say to him, they try to coerce him into going into battle. They say, if you lead us against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. And Jephthah replies and he says, let me get this straight. If I come with you and if the Lord gives me victory over the people, will you really make me ruler over all the people? And don't miss what Jephthah's doing here. He is refusing to do what God had told him to do, but he's looking for something in it for himself. See, Jephthah's choosing to go and fight not because God had commanded him to do it, but because he wanted something out of it for himself. And this is a sneak peek into his idolatry. The idolatry that had snuck in. He couldn't just do what he was asked. And we do this all the time. Why would I walk in purity when there's nothing in it for me? It's not fun. Why would I do what the Bible says when it looks like it's hard and there's nothing in it for me? And so after some political maneuvering, I'm going to skip ahead and pick up in verse 29 when Jephthah prepares for battle. And it says, at the time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mipsa in Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. And don't get caught up by the funny words. The first few words are what matter. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And what this means is that he is promising victory to Jephthah. Because here's the thing, when God is involved, he doesn't fail. When God's spirit is involved in something, there will be victory. And so this happens to every judge in the book. God gives them his spirit and is a promise of victory. But watch what Jephthah does in verse 30. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and he said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me. When I return in triumph, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And what Jephthah just did is he undermined God's promise. See, see, God had given him the victory by giving him his spirit, but he tries to cut a deal. And when we do this, we demote God. He's no longer the all-powerful, almighty, only giving God. He is now an idol to us. See, see God is the giver, but he doesn't expect anything in return. But Jephthah tries to offer something. He tries to earn God's promise. And this is what we do. And there's someone here who, who needs to hear this, that you need to stop er trying to earn what God has already given you. See, God has given you his spirit. God has given you the cross and given you salvation. God has promised you provision, but, but we try to earn it. We try to, to put on a performance for God. And, and it looks bad enough for Jephthah. This, this looks pretty bad. But, but it gets 
Even worse. See, when you look at his vow, he uses this phrase, whatever comes out of my house to meet me. And, and they didn't have pets in ancient Israel. There was no little scruffy in the house. And some of you would be more upset if he offered to sacrifice his pet. Some of you would be like, no, take my brother. Don't take my dog. Like, like, there were no pets. And farm animals were not allowed in the house. They were unclean. And so this could mean only one thing. This was clearly a human sacrifice. And see, I don't want you to, to get caught up by this because people sometimes open the Old Testament and they get offended or, or they see something that they don't like and they shut the Bible. But see, God hates human sacrifice. God despises human sacrifice. I'm going to read a passage from Deuteronomy that I think explains this really well. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going to dispossess, that's Canaan, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I may also do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates they have done for their gods. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. See, everything that they do for their gods, our God hates even burning their sons and daughters. It's like Moses is talking right to Jephthah. Moses, the writer of this, long before Jephthah, but, but it sounds like it, he's talking right to him. Mate, make sure you don't fall into idolatry. Otherwise, you're going to start doing things that God hates. And I, and I want you to be so clear on this that the Bible condemns this that I don't have time, but, but you can write down these verses that are going to be up on the screen. And, and it's just where, where the Old Testament, the Bible, condemns human sacrifice. These, those verses, if you want to check them out. And it now begs the question, as why would Jephthah do this if he knew that God hated it? Like, shouldn't he have known? Why would he make such a sacrifice? Well, Daniel Block, I think, explains it really well. He says... Pagan vows to sacrifice children were not rash or impulsive, but deadly serious expressions of devotion, devotion to their idols. He, he goes on, Jephthah was so determined to achieve victory over the Ammonites that he was willing to make a human sacrifice to get a divine guarantee, not a guarantee from God, which he already had, but a guarantee from his idols, from anything that would give him one. See, he's praying to God, but he's winking at idols. He's got one hand on God and he's got one hand on idols. And, and this is what I like to call integrated idolatry. It's a phrase that I either made up or I stole accidentally. Integrated idolatry. And, and what I think he's doing is he's bringing idolatrous principles or practices into his relationship with God. And he does this two ways. He, he tries to earn what God has already promised him. And, and he offers a human sacrifice. And what he's doing, and what we do when we do this, is when you try to worship God like an idol, you no longer worship God, you worship idols. See, he's not worshiping God anymore. See, I think you might have missed that. When you worship God like you would worship an idol, you no longer worship God, you worship an idol. And so for a lot of us in the room, it's two things. There's two ways that we do integrated idolatry. One of them, like Jephthah, one of them, 
not like Jephthah, and I don't, I don't mean human sacrifice. If you're doing human sacrifice, you should come talk to me afterward. But, but we do this by trying to earn what God has already promised us. We try this by putting on a performance. And the other way that we do this is when we indulge in sin. And don't mishear me. We all sin. But when you begin to indulge and enjoy it, when you begin to plan for it and, and justify it, you are no longer just falling short. You are worshiping an idol when you do that. And let's continue in verse 32. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him victory. And let me stop right there. God is so faithful to his promises that even when you try and mess it up, he still comes through because that's the God that we serve. See, he crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aor to an area near Minith and as far away as Abel Karamim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mitzvah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on the tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. I mean, ah, his only daughter. And she's playing on the tambourine. Like, she's having a good time. And, and every time I read this, I just, I'm just like, bro, you made a, a vow knowing that you had only one daughter. Like any, any fathers of daughters in the room tonight are like cringing at this. Like you had one daughter and you put her on the line. See, and, and kids, they meant a lot in ancient Israel. See, your legacy rested on your children because they would have grandchildren and they would have grandchildren. Your wealth rested on your children. Your influence was on your children. If you had a lot of children, you were wealthy, you were influential. Jephthah had one daughter. His influence, his legacy, his wealth rested on one daughter. And he puts her on the line. And this is because idols had control of him. He did something he would have never thought he would have done because he had given an idol control over him. And here's the thing. When you worship idols, you give them control over you. And so it gets worse because this is what happens. He blames her. He says, oh, my daughter, you know, what have you done? You have completely destroyed me. You brought disaster on me. And this is what we do when we get caught in sin. We blame other people, right? Adam did it in the garden. Jephthah does it here. We do it all the time. You got me so angry. Or you're too easily offended. Or, or look at the way that she dresses. How could I not be tempted? Oh, you didn't think I was going to get real, did you? And we blame other people for the decisions that we make. And so in verse 36, she said, Father, if you made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me whatever you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over the en your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. Whoa. And you may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. And she and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. And when she returned home, her father kept the vow that he made and she died a virgin. So it became a custom in Israel for Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. And there's irony here. The irony is that Jephthah's daughter was willing to be obedient to her father when Jephthah would not be obedient to his heavenly father. 
See, all he had to do was be obedient and go and fight and not expect anything in return, not try and earn his promise, and he couldn't do it, but she's willing to be obedient to her father. And let me be real. If my dad did this, I'd be like, peace out, homie. I am gone. No way. You do you. I hear Egypt is nice this time of year. I'm going down there. Like, no. But she does it. And his whole legacy is gone in one swoop. And that's why she, she laments and that's why she cries over being a virgin because she would never have kids. Her, her legacy, her father's legacy is gone. This is my question to you. What do you value? What, or, or what is the one thing you can't afford to lose? Because that's what the idol wants to take from you. See, for him, it was his legacy. It was his only daughter. And I think the worst thing about this story is that I really believe in my heart that they did not have to do this. That Jephthah could have fallen on his face and asked God for mercy and God would have given it. And you might be saying, well, wait, but in the Bible it said that, that they had to do it. Are you saying that the Bible's wrong? And I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible's wrong. I'm saying that sometimes the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. And what I mean is that the Bible is telling us a story and it's not taking a moral stance on that story. It is just describing events to us, not prescribing actions for us. And so I really, really think that if Jephthah would have just asked God for grace, God would have given it freely because that's the kind of God that we serve. But, but this shows how bad his idolatry was. And it even shows how bad it was for the whole nation because Jephthah's daughter even makes this statement like, like, oh, the vow must have had something to do with the victory, so you have to keep it. No, God had already promised it. And so Jephthah's so twisted up in his idolatry that he feels the need to finish what he started. And there's some of us here tonight that we give little by little, like Doug talked about last week, just giving little decision after little decision, and we find ourselves at this point and we can look back and we can turn back, but we feel like we have to finish what we started. And I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight that you don't have to finish what you started. Because what Jephthah had to learn the hard way is that when you give control to an idol, it will have its way with your life. When you give control to an idol, it will have its way with your life. And so I'm sorry that this story is a downer. Because that's the end of the story. That's how Jephthah's story ends here. His daughter dies. But, but I want you to understand something about idols and see there is in this, this lie, and I don't think it was intentional, but this lie by the church about idols, that idols have no influence, they have no power, they don't offer you anything, just, just, just forsake your idols. And, and I want to tell you the truth here is that idols do offer you something. See, if you chase after sex and you want physical pleasure and you want your fantasies to be fulfilled, you will get what you want. And if you want money and you want things and you think that that's going to fulfill you, you will get what you want, but it will come at a price. And that's what Jephthah had to learn. And, and the offer is different, but, but the price is always the same. It's death, destruction, and brokenness. And that might be Jephthah's whole story, but it's not our whole story, see, because Jesus understood this concept. And in John, John 10, he says, the thief comes to only to kill and steal and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. See, he understands that idols destroy, but he offers life when idols take life. And, and the crazy thing about Jesus is that it's at no cost to you and me. See, he paid the cost on the cross, and so here we have the life 
giver in Jesus and the life taker in idols. And you might be saying, well, what do you mean by life? And what I mean by life is freedom from the brokenness and freedom from the idols. But these two things don't mix well. See, they're at the polar opposite of ends of the same spectrum. Jesus, the life giver, cannot coexist with idols, life takers. When I was a kid, and, and me and my family still do this, we go away every summer for a weekend to visit our family friends up in Connecticut, and they own a house on a lake. And, and we would love to do this, and we would do all kinds of water sports up there. And they would have jet skis and boats, and we would do that. And one of the things we love to do is go tubing. And we would put two tubes at the back of the boat, and we'd call it double tubing. And we'd pack a bunch of people onto these tubes and we'd wrestle each other off and we'd jump back and forth. And someone would inevitably try and get in between both tubes and hold on to one handle on one tube and one handle on the other. And what would always happen is the tubes would start to separate by the wake of the boat. And what would happen is you would be dangling over the water and your head would be bouncing up and down over the water. And you couldn't choose which one you would go back to. It always ended the same. You ended up with a face full of water and a headache. And so here's the bottom line is that you can either serve God or you can serve idols, but you can't serve both. And you might be thinking, and I have a fear that there are two groups in this room right now. There's, I have a fear that, that there is a group thinking that they are too far gone, that, that you're like Jephthah, that you can't turn back. And, and here's the thing, I believe Jephthah could have turned back, and I believe that you can too. I believe there's, there's literally no such thing as too far gone when it comes to our God. And my other fear is that there are some people who are sitting here thinking that this message has nothing to do with them, that you're all good. And I think that you're wrong. I think that you're flat out wrong. And if you want to come challenge me on that, I'll be right here afterward. But, but I think that our hearts are idle factories and that we are constantly manufacturing and pumping out idols. And look, you may be good 90% of the time. And if you're good 90% of the time, I'd love to hear your strategy. But here's the thing, that 10% could turn into 15%, 20%, and all of a sudden, you're losing control. And so I don't want to leave you with, with a bad application. I'm not going to tell you to go read your Bible more or pray more because I don't know that that's really going to do anything for you, but I'm going to give you something a little bit more crazy to do, a little bit more out there. Would you ask for help tonight? See, I don't want you to leave this room without finding someone and, and really talking to them about it. If you're in a community group, find your community group leader. I'm going to be right here, and there's going to be a prayer team right here. Come talk to me about it. And even if you're in that 90% group, and you're like, hey, I'm good. There's just this one thing. Every week when I'm with these people, I get tripped up. Would you pray for me about it? Would you check in with me about it? Or it might be a long conversation. But here's the thing, if you walk out of this room tonight without doing that, you could be giving more and more control to your idol. See, I had this friend when I was in college. I had this um, friend, I was an RA, and he was doing ministry with me, and he lived on my hall, and one night I was back at my dorm, and I was reading, and I got a knock at my door, which is pretty common as an RA, and so I go, and I open the door, and I let him in, and, and it was him and his roommate, and they... Their eyes were red, and they seemed like they had been crying. So they come, and they sit down on my couch, and he begins to tell me this really long story. And he says, when I was in middle school, I got addicted to pornography. And, and as a guy already at Liberty, uh, that, be, that becomes a little too familiar for you to hear. But, but he says, I got addicted to pornography, and it, it began to distort my view of humanity, of human sexuality. And so I began to 
question my sexuality and my sexual orientation and, and I began to experiment with different things. And he said, I went down a really dark path in high school until I met my girlfriend. And I had known his girlfriend. She was a really nice girl. She had gone to our college. And, and uh, he said, so then we started dating. And, and then we got engaged. And when we got engaged, these feelings began to come back because I started to get really, really nervous about our wedding night. And he said, I didn't know what to do. So I began to believe this lie. And, and I found myself on Craigslist. And then I... And I reached out to this woman and we began to talk and we had a, a, a relationship for a few weeks and, and we slept together. And she was an older woman and she was married with three kids. And after the relationship fizzled out, he said, I got a, a phone call a few months later saying that she was pregnant but not to worry because she got an abortion. And at this point, my mouth, my jaw is on the floor and I'm weeping with him and I'm praying with him and, and he had lost a lot and he couldn't hold it in anymore and he, he had to tell someone so he told me, he told his roommate and we got him in counseling and, and you know what, he lost his ministry position. He lost his fiance. And there's a very thin line that separates my friend from Jephthah. It's a very thin line. The line is not that one was perfect and one was not. The line is that one asked for help and one didn't. See, see, I don't care how far gone you are. I'm not naive enough to think that something like that, something dark and hidden like that doesn't exist in this room tonight. Because I, I lived with it on a hall. I saw this dude every day and I didn't know. And so if that's you, I'm not telling you you need to be perfect. I'm telling you that you need to ask for help. I want you to be like my friend, not be like Jephthah. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... This would be my challenge to you. If you want to ask for help and you want to find someone to talk to, definitely do it. But I also want you to start talking to God about this. See, we're going to pray in a little bit, and, and I just want you to start a conversation with God and start saying, maybe this is your first time in church and you have no idea what this whole life thing is all about that Jesus offers. And, and just say, God, I don't know what this is, but, but would you show me and would you, would you maybe lead someone to talk to me and, and, and come up and ask questions? Or maybe you've been here a couple times before and and you are just done with the brokenness and you're ready to face the brokenness and take the life that, that Jesus is offering. And, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. But guys, we, we cannot serve God and idols at the same time. And so there's only one thing that we can do and it's we need to help each other. So let's, let's be bold. Let's do that tonight. Let's not leave this room giving more and more control to the idols. But let's look back on tonight and say tonight was the night where things started to change. You guys can pray with me. Lord God, I'm just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it is a wealth of knowledge. God, I ask that you give people boldness tonight that you silence the voices that are going on in their head saying, well, he's not talking to me. He doesn't mean me. I pray, Lord God, that you give people confidence to ask for help from their friends or from their community group leader or from me or a member of the prayer team. Lord God, if you're, or, or if you're in this room tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you just want to know what, more about this, you can pray something like this. You can say, God, I, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know what you're all about, but I know that I can't live with this brokenness anymore. 
and that I need, I need life. So God, would you just do something? Would you reveal yourself to me in some way? And if you, if you feel like you're ready to accept that life that Jesus offers, you can pray something like this. And I want you to be clear, it's not a prayer itself that does anything, but it's the position of your heart. It's God that saves you. You can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I can't go on living this broken way. But you offer life. Would you come into this heart? Would you give me life, give me freedom from the brokenness that you paid for on that cross? And if, if you prayed either one of those prayers, would you just do something and, and quietly look up at me? I just want to be praying with you. I'd love to connect with you after this. But if you prayed that, would you just look up at me? Okay. Okay. Lord God, I, I pray that you continue to move in here tonight. Lord, please move. We are expecting you to do great things, Lord Jesus. Bless this worship set that we are about to go into, Lord, and I pray that you soften hearts to take the step that they know they need to take to stop making excuses and to stop giving control to the idols, but finally let go. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.